Welcome to Online. I'm Jenny Robb, and I'm so excited uh, today to have my friend and, a, and an industry leader. Um, thank you so much, Frank, for, for taking the time to be here today and chat um, about your book. Uh, the book we're talking about is The Psychology of Tennis. I know that's backwards, but uh, it's available on Amazon. So we're going to get into that a little bit. Um, but let me let me introduce you to Frank. Frank is an award-winning international coach, popular international speaker, and sports researcher. Um, he's an instructional writer for the ITF and uh, has contributed to numerous uh, industry magazines and books. Um, and uh, skipping through because it's a, a extensive, <laughs> extensive um, uh, bio here, which is wonderful. But Frank's the best-selling author of numerous books um, that that I've learned and I know have influenced and impacted so many uh, coaches and players and parents um, all over the world. Uh, you've been on the Today, Today Show, um, you know, Fox Sports, Tennis Canada, Tennis Australia, um, and Frank founded the Tennis Parents Workshops in 1998, conducting workshops in uh Israel, Mexico, New Zealand, Australia, England, Canada, Spain, <laughs> we could go on. Uh, but anyway, thank you so much, Frank, for being here. Let's let's get to it. <laughs> uh, thanks so much, Jenny. It's fun. It's fun being here and great to see you again. So, yeah, I hope that we can help some parents along the way and maybe even some uh, athletes take some of the info and apply it. Yep. Yep. So. We're going to, um, I'm, I'm excited to say that we're, this is going to be part of a series that we're going to go through um, this this book of Frank's. And so today uh, we're just going to talk about the introduction and sort of how it all came to be. Um, so hopefully uh, you enjoy it as much as, as I do. <laughs> so right off the bat, the introduction, you say it's our job as parents and coaches to teach the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Mm -hmm. um, so it kind of lead us through those are, I love those phrases, but kind of expand on that a little bit. So, so what the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Yeah, no, sure. To, um, to me, the science of achievement is how parents and even coaches can help uh, athletes customize their preparation. And that's a huge part of their achievement. So when they have outcome goals, as you all know, they have to be able to meet performance goals and improvement goals and growth every week. And so how they customize their preparation is really key. And so one of the things that's really important to me is athletes should understand that they have a unique personality profile, a unique brain type, a unique body type even. The, st the style that they play is dictated by their personal genetic predisposition. Their, their brain type, their body type. It, it's not based on how their coach used to play back 20 years ago when, yeah. when he or she was a player. And that's one of the, um, the issues nowadays. A lot of the modern coaches, a lot of the coaches that to me are more of the, the better coaches in the industry, they really have a way to get into the athlete's world. Mm -hmm. And so instead of forcing athletes to get into our world, it used to be like the one size fits all, right. you know, 1950s assembly line mentality. Mm -hmm. Everybody get in line, hit one ball, go get in line, hit yeah. one ball every that kind of stuff is a little bit outdated. So mm -hmm. if you want, we'll talk a little bit about customizing preparation. I think it's really meaningful that parents know that great tennis players are really great athletes first. 
-hmm. So up until the age of 13, they should play multiple sports, in my opinion, to be well-rounded. Totally. Um, yeah, they should spend, you know, depending on their age, they should spend hours a week in the gym working on core and upper body and medicine ball, um, maybe bands versus weights if, right. if they're a little bit younger. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, they need a lot of agility. And, you know, speed and agility are two very different things. And speed is how well you can run to a spot if you already know where to go. Like when coaches say, okay, race to the water fountain. And we <laughs> see some kids like, when they're bolting and they're in first place. But then yeah, in a the match, they look, time. <laughs> yeah. In the match, they're crazy slow because they hesitate and they have cognitive processing issues and they, they're overthinking possibilities and this is part of um, agility, speed and agility. Agility is, you know, tennis is an open skilled sport. Right. So kids have to be able to change directions in milliseconds. Right. right. That has to be trained. That doesn't happen when you stand in line, hit a ball, go get in line. And so tennis specific training is really important with the science of achievement. There's a reason why some kids win all the trophies and others just look good in the warm up. Mm -hmm. And and, you know, parents, we see it all the time. We're like, I don't get it. My kid looks so good in practice. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but in a match. Right. And mm -hmm. yeah. So usually in practice, what happens is the kids are playing catch back and forth with the coach who's pretty darn good and they can hit it right to the athlete's, you know, sweet spot strike mm -hmm. zone. Mm -hmm. And the athlete really does look terrific. And they're playing a game of catch, essentially. Right. right. Yes. Now the next day they're in a match. Now that jerky opponent is playing a, a violent game of keep away. Right. And now our kids go down in flames and we're like, I don't get it. Well, they have to practice in the manner they're expected to perform. Exactly. And that's a huge statement in my opinion. And I've said yeah. it for years, but practicing in the manner you're expected to perform is really important. Absolutely. That's part of the science of achievement. So if there was a list of customizing your child's developmental plan, like a weekly developmental plan, they would have off-court in the gym, right? off-court speed and agility, and mm -hmm. even endurance, right, stamina, because we know, and you know, Jenny, from running all these tournaments and being involved in, you know, Davis Cup all the way down, that you know in a lot of these junior tournaments, there's, let's just say, a 64-draw event, and, and every round, half the people lose, Okay. And at the end of the tournament, one person wins, 63 goes home, a loser with the parents mad at him. <laughs> and it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, if you're only happy when you win the whole tournament, it's going to be, you're not gonna be very happy in tennis, right? No, no, I, um, I, I could not agree more. And, and it, I love what you say about practicing in a way that you're going to be going through the same rhythms of a match mm -hmm. so you have your routines practice you know if you're practicing your serve and you just grab a ball out of the basket serve grab a ball out of the basket serve you know are you doing that routine are you taking the time to you know pick your spots or think about what you're doing you know just mm -hmm. all of those things that the routines that you go through that you know you've got an doll, of course is the, the easiest example of that you're, you know you're going to do the same thing over and over um but if you're not doing that in practice it's going to feel weird <laughs> when all of a sudden you're out there in a, in a match and so i just i love your perspective on that yeah thank you for that um 
So, so yes, uh, you know, the ABCs, agility, balance, control, you know, I love that as part of the science um, and playing other sports. It, it's an, it's important. Um, health yeah. wise, you know, you're, you're going to see fewer overuse injuries than if, you know, the, the baseball pitching is, is the biggest example I can think of for, you know, how many pitches is that kid throwing per week? Yeah. Is that all that, that they're doing? You know, and so so just for the overall health, physical um, and mental, you know, it's good to different sports. Like you said, um, I, I'm a big fan of gymnastics. My, I have two little nieces uh, that are into gymnastics right now. And um, so that would be an example of a closed sport. They have a routine and they're going to do it to the music and they're going to do it over and over and over. And there is certainly... Um, challenges and in that regard as well but it's not the same as you don't know what's coming and so you're reacting and making those decisions in milliseconds like you're saying and so you know that that's huge and it's it's kind of it's important to understand that especially when you talk about you know in a draw of 64 only one wins wins it all um it seems like a simple concept but i think it's so simple that people just don't think about it maybe you go oh my gosh okay all these kids we got to worry about those kids that had, you know, maybe went lose, lose and go home. And that wasn't really a fun weekend. So, <laughs> but it's part of it. It's part of it. You know, I mean, uh, I have to cite uh, my good friend, uh, Jim Harp over mm. in Georgia. Uh, I've, you know, spent some time there with his academy a few years ago, and we would have these conversations. And he'd go, "You gotta love to suffer," <laughs> you know, and that that's kind of it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I love Jim, and what, <laughs> yeah, it's great. If you guys, if anybody, if you're ever in Atlanta, you got to look up, you know, Jim Harp and get to his academy a little bit because. He's dynamite. He's one of the probably one of the nation's best. So I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. He's phenomenal. Um, yeah. So I love that. Then right after the the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment, you go into um, your family's happiness depends on your ability to navigate the waters. Educated mm -hmm. parents about educated parents about the developmental process are the ship's motors uneducated parents about the developmental process are the ship's anchors. And that's a huge statement um, that is so important. <laughs> so so kind of go through a little bit of that as far as being the motor or being the anchor in the parent's role. Yeah, right on the money. Uh, you know, the, obviously the, uh, the concept of being the motor is for the parents to understand what they're doing right. and, and understand that enjoying the improvement journey is really what they're after. The parents are after beautiful life skills and positive character traits, and maybe even a moral compass that can be learned through sports. Mm -hmm. And uh, we know that, you know, with really terrific high school players, they're usually a little bit more of hobbyists. Maybe 2% of those go on to play D1 college, maybe 5% even play anywhere in college so it's it's very slim pickings when you get to the top and um that's almost like athletic royalty you know when you go to school and you get to play for a team it's and you, you remember you did and it was just you know it's just an amazing experience and i think for the parents they don't want to be the anchor and to me the anchor is a parent that really is obsessed about the outcome 
as opposed to the performance. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we see it sometimes a good example of an anchor tennis parent might be they cause the junior athlete to lose the same match three times in their head. Then they wonder why the athlete wants to quit. So I'll give you the example. The athlete plays a pretty tough match and they lose the match. They already feel, you know, heartbroken because they lost and they know they've made some mistakes and they get it. So they get in the car now on the way home and the parents driving, you know, and yelling at them and telling them the 15 things they did wrong. And, and that's just cementing that the kid is broken. If you're doing that to your child. So that's two. So once they lose the real match two, they have to relive it in the car. Now three, what happens is on Monday or Tuesday, maybe the child goes back to a clinic and the parent takes them and the parent feels they have to vent to the coach. So for the hour of the private lesson, half hour of it, the parent is telling the coach all the things the child did wrong. Now the child has to relive the same drama three times, three losses. Yeah. And then parents wonder why like 70% of all the kids quit sports nowadays, you know, by the early teens. That's right. And you know that that's a big number, right? It's a huge number. Yeah. And that's Sad. that that threshold is, is scary. We got to keep kids, you know, in there um, in sports. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you, you go on to say the prerequisite is a healthy mental state, emotional fitness and psychological strength matter. Um, and you say our emotions determine our course of action. So, mm. so let's kind of go through emotional fitness and, and psychological strength. Um, I, I love, again, I love these phrases. So let's just uh, extrapolate a little bit. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, great. You know, I could tell the parents listening, they're going, God, this, what's this guy going to say, you know, but so we'll, we'll see if I can see if I can come up with something here. So anyway, the mental and emotional, uh, Mental strength might be the ability for your athlete to know their tennis identity. That means what's their best style of play? What's their A plans and B plans? Are they really, truly a good hard-hitting baseliner? And maybe their B plan is capture the net. Our kids have to know, and parents say it all the time, and, and coaches do too, they go, just go out there, Joey, and play your game. And then we would go over to Joey, we go, hey, what's your game? And they go, I don't even have a clue. I don't know. <laughs> Man, they don't know. I'm telling you, parents, they don't know. So the mental side is they have to know their identity. They have to know what style they play. What are their strengths? That means their psychological strengths, their shot tolerance threshold, the ground stroke strengths. Like Rafi on the doll, he knows that his forehand is big. Right. And so, you know, like on, on hard courts, he might even hit 67% of every, every ground stroke with his forehand. And on clubs, it's more like 75 percent he chooses to hit his strength every time he can mm -hmm. and our athletes need to do that um that's part of the mental game knowing their best patterns of play obviously and that's something that when we talk about you know training and science of achievement i think that's really big too though that our, our athletes are really good at practicing the situation situational training that's huge. And you know, they, they do that in Tennis Canada a lot, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so that means you're practicing your offensive options and your defensive plays and your neutral plays. And you're not just working on singular stroke development. You know, it goes back to what you were saying before. Also, when it brings in your, your body type, your personality, you know, all that preparation 
so important. I mean, an easy one is if you had Diego Schwartzman and John Isner and the same mm -hmm. clinic, are they going to, is everybody going to be doing the same thing? Are they going to need to, what are they going to need to hear from their coaches? And it can't just be a blanket overall thing. You know, I, I loved uh, Lindsay Davenport and Justine Hen and, and again, are you going to trade those two in the same way? No, not at all. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I think you're right. I think that's why it's really meaningful that the new generation of coaches um, listen to these type of podcasts and, Almost, almost always as I travel, coaches are just teaching the same methodology that they were taught 20 years ago. And yeah. because it's, you know, it's hard to change, right? And yeah. it's just like us with our parents. Sometimes we say the same thing that our mother or father say, right? And we go, oh my God, I sound like my dad. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. But it's our job, man. We have to, we have to up the level a little bit. But but anyway, with the, the emotional side the emotional development, I think that's in regards to your athletes understanding how do they handle and conquer fear and nervousness, choking, panicking, tanking, yep. you know, how to close out a lead. I mean, we get right. that all the time. And a lot of that is based on your emotions, right? Cause your emotions really drive the ship. And, and most of us, we tend to really believe our emotions, but really they're just speculations. Yep. they're not always true um, <laughs> absolutely you, know, you, get, you get you you see what's in your head the players you know might have a completely different view if they come off the court and from their parent or coach watching to what the way they interpret how they play could be completely different you know um which is which is understandable and like you said um whether it's it's panic or or just not knowing what to do how to deal with the emotions and that it's so huge because yeah. you yourself, you know, you can't, you don't have a whole lot of time, even in between points or on changeovers. And so again, going back to routines and, you know, how do you get yourself, you know, back in, in that place and the preparation for that. Mm. So huge. Um, That's so good. Yeah. Why don't we, why don't we walk the listeners through what we mean by routines and rituals in between points. And if, if anybody out there listening doesn't have an exact plan or an exact routine so let's say a point's over and we know you most points last about five seconds four to five seconds they're short right and that's the hardware of the game right that's the strokes and the athleticism now the software of the game kicks in in between points so that's mental and emotional right that's when that skill set clicks in so let's say our athlete misses a an easy overhead and they're getting a little bit frustrated and they feel it starting to erupt inside they i'll give you four steps that i know i know jenny you do this with your players too but we'll do it for the listeners but number one they need to create space they have to walk all the way to the back fence past the baseline go all the way back maybe go to where their towel is and then stand totally still takes three deep slow breaths because it's meaningful to manage your heart rate and your breathing um one of the things I'm working on lately, which is really interesting to me, one of the newest things I'm trying to do is, you remember the old Fitbit we would put on? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and okay, so my wife was really big on this. I had to take, I don't know, whatever it was, 10,000 steps. And I oh, remember yeah. when I would get, got, when I would get home from work, if I only had 6,000 steps, I would take that Fitbit and I would put it around my dog's collar 
and I have them running around the yard. And then by the time my wife got home, it's boom, I got my 10,000 steps. That is, that's so, that is great. That, that might be the best tip you get. That is, but so anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's goofy. No, no, but, no, you know, but I love what you said um, about breathing, and breathing is so important, you know, and even, even yeah. outside of the tennis world, you hear whether it's yoga or just about anything, you're going to hear, you know, weightlifting, you, you have to manage your breaths. And, and, you know, so the breathing part is so huge. And, you know, one thing uh, that I know you, you've talked about, and, you know, that breath in through the nose. And then out through the mouth, you know, to be able to, to kind of clear your mind, fill your lungs up. And like you said, that's going to bring your heart rate down and calm you down, you know, cause you don't want that, that, you know, almost hyperventilating. Yeah. That's the panic. <laughs> is like breathing, you know, I mean, I've, I've, I've been there, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. But they're good. You know, where I'm going, I can't. Well, <laughs> me too. I think we all have, but. Well, so that's a big part. Look, parents, if you're not training the software, you're going to see trouble in matches. So number one, go back, create space, right? Go to your towel, scan their still, do your breathing. And then it's their job to shift their mindset focus from the past mistake to the future point, the next point's plan. What pattern should I be running in the next point? Once they flip it, and now they're really reset, and pros are great at that. They might get mad. They might even break rackets, but they don't walk up and play again until they reset, right? They That's reset. A That's a huge one because, <laughs> um, you know, I work a lot with uh, with younger, younger players, and sometimes they feel like they're not supposed to get mad. You know, like, mm. like getting mad is a bad thing, you know? Yeah. And, so, and I, I would say to them, you know, you know, you got mad, that means you care. You, if you have emotions, it means you care. And emotions are are okay. You know, it's how you yeah. manage them, like you're saying in between points. So you can be mad, go ahead and feel it, go ahead and be mad. You know, that doesn't mean you have to break a racket or stomp around, but, you know, allow yourself to go, okay, I'm mad, I'm disappointed, I'm frustrated. And then, and then it's gone. And so that's one of the things, like you were saying, the pros are, are masters of, of this, of being able to go ahead and feel it and then, and then let it go. You know, I mean, for me, I know yeah. even on both sides of that coin, like if sometimes, you know, you, you impress yourself <laughs> you know, you <laughs> and you go, oh, that, 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 that was pretty cool. You know, and then um, it was almost harder for me to play the next point because um now I feel like oh now I can try this and the next thing you know you're you've lost three games because you're trying to replicate that one shot that you surprised yourself with <laughs> you know so whether <laughs> mad angry frustrated disappointed or yeah, good point. Oh, wow that was that was huge that was so great you know it's like either way you've got to come back to that focus like you were saying so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah get it get it back get it back to we used to say back we used to play is okay now i gotta back to reality because i just hit a shot that was like insanely great and now but i know i can't do that all the time but yeah i think you're right of the money with that stuff and but it's just part of the quality of preparation to, it, it kind of dictates your success right and so it's our job as parents to understand that there's hardware and software so and how would you um 
approach a situation where uh, a player is is learning how to do this you know maybe a coach is working with with them i would hope so on this but the parent is not aware of the work being done in this area you know they might say you know how's that that drop shot going is he has he got it yet you know how i wonder how to also bring the parent in if the coach and the mm-hmm. player are working on these in between point things and so that behavior is being developed but then what if the parent doesn't know and you have one of those parents that's you know you see you see it all the time you know not to give parents a bad rap parents get a bad rap but but yeah <laughs> there are some really great 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 sports parents out there I, i'm lucky i have I had great sport parents but um you know the i call it the art of no reaction <laughs> mm, yeah <laughs> because you know, they're gonna see i mean i remember playing and i would peek over at my dad <laughs> you know to see if he's like if he gets up and has to walk around for a minute and i'm going oh gosh you know <laughs> or or if it's just stoic or if somebody's like yeah how did you miss that you know i mean one of the words this is a terrible example but it just sticks out in my mind because it was so shocking to me um so a few years ago when I was uh, doing uh, the junior team tennis, uh, Alabama state championships, and then helping with the Southern junior team tennis championships. And there was a dad of one of my players, because I actually had a team there as well. And he was right behind the gate. His, his son's, this was 10 and under, okay? We're talking orange balls, 60 foot. And the dad is hanging on the fence and the kid is losing and you can see the meltdown happening. You know, you can see the body language start to crumble. And this dad goes, you're playing scared. You look scared. And I was like, <laughs> I'm scared now. You just, you scared me. <laughs> you know, I can't imagine what he's feeling out there. You know? <laughs> that, yeah. Just so to bring, because what you do such a good job of in so many of your books and presentations is, how to make that, you know, relationship between the parents and the coaches so that everyone's informed, you know, so the parent knows Mm -hmm. that you're working on, you know, not freaking out if you miss a shot, you know, and then, you know, how to let go of that emotion or so, so how, how do you, how do you kind of get that dynamic to work? Well, that is part of the tennis parent education and, you know, the 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 great parents that are going to go read these kind of books, um, they're the ones that are coachable. Yeah. And the parents, usually like the ones that are hanging on the fence, they're not going to read this kind of book anyway, because you know what? They know it all. They played basketball in high school back in 1992. And, and so I don't even try to really help those parents because they don't want help. And you know that's a big part of being coachable, whether it's parents or or athletes, right? They have to be coachable. They have to be looking for their own improvement. But from the coach's standpoint, this part is meaningful, though, too, that a lot of coaches say, well, I don't want to get involved with the parents. Some, I mean, when I first started coaching in, in Israel, they they had a rule that parents wouldn't be allowed to even get out of the car. They would have to drop them off at one of the tennis, Israel tennis centers and not get out of the car. But the issue is, to me, is that it's problematic because the parent is the weekend coach. Right. Yeah, that's right. 
And so we have a weird sport. I mean, if it was soccer or what basketball, the coaches coach during the week, then the coaches coach during the whole game. In tennis, the coaches coach during the week. The parents have no idea what's going on. Now they become the coach. Now they change the whole directive, the whole narrative. Even on the drive to the tournament site, you know, yeah. they can be stressing out players to the max. Like, you know, you're playing a person you have 10, 10 points UTR higher. If you beat her, you you charge gonna go to here. The yeah. college coaches are watching, don't blow it. We Jump just spent two thousand dollars to get you here and we're not gonna waste our hard earned money and so there's a lot of stuff like that that goes on. But yeah, it, it that's kind of why we're doing, even with like PTR, we're doing a lot of the, the tennis parent education too. We're trying to help the coaches to help all the parents. Um, but yeah, that's a tough, that's a tough issue, isn't it? Um, in my opinion, if you're a parent, try to sit quietly, try to sit, like you said, stoic and, and just put notes in your phone, but don't just list all the negative things. Um, don't send a text every game to the coach throughout the match saying what your kid's doing wrong. Just take some notes at the end of every match, write down three topics your child is doing really well. The kick serve is way better today. His slice approach is great. But then list three things that he needs to improve still. His software, he's, he's rushing in between points a little bit. Can you work on that? And then what I'd like the parents to do is only text that information directly to the coach, but don't talk to the junior athlete about it. Right. So in a sense, I mean, the coach, the parent and the player, all three have to be coachable. Yeah, For a coach to want to learn how to involve parents more or, or create a better dynamic between the, the three, um, you know, that that's that's a part that coaches would want to be willing to learn if that's not, you know, if, if your program, you know, you might see the drop off the pickup or, you know, maybe you talk to them a little bit on the phone after a match or something, who knows, but, but the coach being able to be coachable to help the player and the parent, you know, and then the parent has to be coachable. You yeah. Know? Right. Going back to, you know, so I love, we all have to be able to. The coach and the parent, they need to breathe too. <laughs> yeah, yeah they do. There and they do. All clenched, like, Oh my gosh, she's, I hope she doesn't double fault. It's like, well, <laughs> need to breathe too. Everybody, let's all just breathe. <laughs> yeah, it's really not life or death in junior tennis. That's for sure. It, I would like kids to think about practice matches or even junior tournaments as just dress rehearsals. That's really <laughs> that's all it is. Um, dress rehearsal, and so that's you know that's something that they want to look at a little bit. Um, but we all should try to dig deep and 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 give you know, 20% more. So sometimes we ask juniors go out, hit a basket of serves. And we, we expect maybe the juniors to do a little bit more. Um, we want parents to not be a hobbyist parent, but get more involved in it. Sometimes parents are uninformed where they're, they act like, you know, they drop them off maybe to a, a, a private once a week in a couple hours of clinics a week and they expect that child to win tournaments. Well, look, I'm here to tell you, they're not going to win tournaments at that level of training, especially the bigger tournaments. Right? So I think that's meaningful that the parents have to get involved. If they want the child to be more than just a hobbyist and maybe go on and play college ball, 
nowadays high performance sports no matter what the sport is you know equestrian motocross look if you think tennis parents spend a lot of money you should see what they spend for motocross or equestrian Equestrian, it's expensive putting a horse on an airplane isn't it (laughs) no i don't know if you could really do that but anyway yeah i think we're right on the money i think parents get it that if they want their kids to succeed and 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 get ahead on the tennis journey they're going to have to look deeper into it a little bit and everybody has their own unique journey absolutely um so if you had a parent come to you just just a little bit different direction here and say i didn't play sports growing up i Mm. know nothing about this you know and and this is the kind of parent that that you want that that goes tell me how to do this what am i supposed to do you know if you have that parent and then in a similar situation if you do have have a parent that did grow up playing sports and and you know so how how it can apply when you're talking to these different types mm. of parents that come to you either I know nothing tell me what I should be doing to support my child or the guy that comes in and is like this 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 I mean it, it's it's I mean there's a million different different ways but just sort of on those two ends of the spectrum um how how would you approach and help those parents well the first thing I would do is probably listen to their wants and their needs, their, their desires for their kids. That would be big for, for me as a coach. Uh, the first thing is not break out the basket of balls and start feeding balls to the kid, but listen to the child, listen to the the goals of the parent and the child too, right? Because that's going to help organize and customize the developmental plan. Right. But yeah, you're right on the money that I think it's a, probably a little more challenging if the athlete if the parent did play sports back 15, 20 years ago, to me, that's a little more challenging because now we're, we're having to reroute old bad habits compared to zero habits. Right. 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 Coaches know that you, you get a beginner, you can teach them the right motor programs for serving or whatever. It's a little bit easier than trying to change, you know, the Gladys that's been serving like this for 30 years. And now you're trying to get her to use a serve grip. And she's like, no way, man. I, I can't change. I, I got to beat Martha next Tuesday. I, I don't have time to. So, so you know. getting into that, where, where does, it's kind of like a chicken and egg. Do, do you, does the kid, the player, do they set their goals first and then the coach kind of sees a path to help them achieve those goals of the player? And then is the parent even aware of the kid's goals? Yeah, no, great. And, I, so and you know, it's uh, their goals. how does everybody's goals get all on the same page? <laughs> well, I think every journey starts unique. And, and there's some athletes that, I, that I'm working with right now that the parents never even knew about tennis. And there was a girl from Mississippi that I'm working with now, and she's in Florida, but um, she just watched tennis on TV as a little you know, tiny tot. And she was started hitting balls against the garage door and the parents like, what the hell's going on? And so that kid is the one that instigated that journey. Right. But other times there's the parent that maybe played high school ball and they feel like if I would have had a shot, if I would have been in an environment or maybe been in a family where my parents cared about tennis and they pushed me into lessons and they wanted me to go train 
Now, so now that they take that history of their of their own athletic history and and they they bring it into their own child. They're like, I'm going to give my kid, you know, all all the uh, all the attention, and I'm going to try to give them, you know, whatever opportunities that I never had as a as a as a kid myself. So, I don't know. I don't. I don't think I've ever really seen two exactly same pathways. Mm-hmm. So, and um, this situation if. So you're the coach, you know, you've talked about the goals with the player. Um, and then you talk about goals with the parent and the parents goals for the player do not match the player's goals for the player. Yeah, that <laughs> happens a lot. You know, that, the, lot. Yeah. that sure does. And that's difficult, isn't it? When look, when as a coach, we have to serve two servants. Sometimes we have to try to do what the parent wants because Quite frankly, they're paying the bills for a tennis coach, right? Right. But then we have to try to work in the same, maybe the growth development schedule of the junior. Maybe they're not mature enough yet. They're not able to digest all these topics, you know, that the parent thinks that they already should be able to digest. So we have to live in both worlds and wearing multiple hats. Mm -hmm. Um, That's tough when they're not in the same uh, reality world, right? Right. And so I think that goes in some ways to expectations and how to kind of align the expectations and the goals together. Um, You know, I was fortunate enough to uh, spend a lot of time with Ann Pankhurst and uh, she she would talk a lot about, you know, a child, there's, there's the biological age, you know, say you have a 10 year old. Yeah. And then there's their like tennis playing age so yeah. you might have a 10 year old that has never been on a tennis court before in their life and you might have a 10 year old that's been playing tournaments and is ranked in the south and blah 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 you know so, so as far as the expectations that come if you're looking at a a parent and you have these different situations as far as like the experience of the player and like you said like some people are late bloomers you know you see it all the time and with girls especially that you know in the 14s you might have a, a tiny little kid and a, you know the opponent could have looks like they could have driven them to the match you know that, that that's that's the joke you know you have these <laughs> differences and and that goes back to what you were saying about about body type and and um personality uh personality is huge too I mean I know just in my experience I can think of two or three uh girls that had older brothers and the older brothers um so oh this is another thing Ann Pankhurst talks about like birth order and Mm. you know the psyche of that um yeah um and the in these three girls I'm thinking about in particular the older brother played also and they were very um you know, good at practice, respectful, fantastic, enjoyed playing, coachable. And then you see these, this little girl, and I don't know, five, six years old, and she comes out and is like running at the ball and like a banshee. <laughs> and, and at the time, years and years ago, I was kind of like, oh gosh, you know, how, you know, the older brother is so easy. And then there's just, and then over time, I've seen that a lot of times, it's that kid five or six that's like running at the ball like a monster that you go, okay, there's something, there's something to this, you know? And so that personality wise um, can come out and you see that five-year-old running at the ball and maybe that's the player that's going to have aggressive patterns versus a player that's a little more reserved or, you know, stays 
kind of within themselves and you want them to yeah. be more aggressive, you know, so, so you want to rein somebody in and then you want yeah. to give somebody else like, go, go, come on, you know, I mean, I would put myself in the other group. I, I can still in my, hear in my head, you know, my coach say, close the door, Jenny, close the door. Like I've gotten mm-hmm. to that point and then it's like, ah! <laughs> you know, close the door, Jenny. It's like, oh gosh. Yeah. Do you still remember, isn't that funny? Oh, yeah, gosh. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's true so though. We do remember yeah. way back. We way back, huh? But yeah, there's just different. Uh, um, there's definitely different ways parents look at that topic. I, uh, I think you made some good points there. I, I, what do you feel? What do you feel that um, parents need to work on more? So, is it understanding things like that? birth order I think, I mean, I think just expectations you know I mean, I, I'm, yeah. I'm working with a, a a guy right now who's 12 but he's I mean I'm five foot two but he's he's already almost six feet tall he's 12 years old wow. and so you look at this kid and he's a, such a sweet kid and you kind of have an expectation in your mind, right? Like this kid is physically looking older than he is. He does not look 12, but then he opens his voice and he's like, can we have some volleys? You know, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so well, that's- like a mental and emotional age, you know, versus, you know, these huge growth spurts. And I've been working with them for about a year now. And um, this kid has grown and, and it's been important for me to try to try my best to talk to the parent and go, Hey, you know, last mm-hmm. week, the forehand was the contact point was here, but he's grown a foot. <laughs> now the contact, <laughs> everything's yeah. in different places, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, right on. the kid getting used to their changing body and then going, okay, if you have this kid going through a growth spurt or something, you know, you've got to give them a little space because it's going to feel different because they're physically different. You know, and so I think part of expect managing the expectations of a parent or or the player, you know, again, if you have that player and they're like, no, I want to go do this. And we're like, hey, hey, maybe let's, you know, take take a minute and keep you healthy, work through you're going through this growth spurt. Things aren't going to look like they they did last week because this has changed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. I think those are all great points for parents to look at. Um, children that have older siblings usually are a little bit more, not always, but they're usually a little bit more uh, competitive because maybe they have to fight for the remote control or the last slice right. of pizza, but they're growing up with confrontations. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now their older, their older brothers stole his shirt or whatever. And then we get only children and I see it often that they don't have those skills because they never had to worry about the last slice or somebody wearing their shirt. And that's huge. So yeah, yeah that's that's nurturing, right? Yeah. Um, I love what you talked about with you know what Anne talks about and how yes, they have a chronological age, but they also have a mental age. Some kids are way more old souled. Mm-hmm. Maybe oh, we yeah. used to say, remember that? Yeah, yes. Yeah, um, some are just not even, as you said, not physically developed yet you know but others are like your athlete so there's so much more to think about and parents and children also get a little bit confused with this idea about age because 
there's often a 14 year old that plays in the tournament, right? And they're playing a younger 12 year old. The 12 right. year old's been playing national tournaments for two years. The 14 year old's only been playing three or four local tournaments. The 14 year old gets smoked in the match. <laughs> and their parent and the 14 year old said, I don't get it. How do I lose to a punky 12 year old, right? It's confusing. But in, in tennis years, like doggy years, the 12 year old is older. Right. 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 I mean, that's that you took a page right out of my personal experience. I, I mean, literally, I was played in the 14s and it only played locally because I played a bunch of other sports. And then there was a, a girl um, that was 12. This is like the exact situation you just described. And <laughs> I didn't have a whole lot of experience. You know, I was scrappy, but uh, didn't have a whole lot of experience. And we walk out there. And so already I remember in my mind being like, oh, gosh, this is going to be so embarrassing if I lose to this 12-year-old. <laughs> and oh, no. You, you start letting these things come into your head that have no no good reason to be there. And I remember um, I... I because I was kind of chatty, you know, but I'd be like, I like your dress. And, <laughs> Great. And literally, she she goes, I got it when I was playing Zonals in Houston. And I was like, to playing what? What? <laughs> she got you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, we're in Birmingham. I'm like, huh? You know, and I, I got, uh, she she killed me. Wipe, wipe, wipe. <laughs> but, but yeah, well, just get that, like I said, that, you, you, that is straight out of a, a memory of mine. <laughs> Isn't that great? And it, <laughs> it's like the curse of being real extroverted, being such an outgoing person is that <laughs> we want to please everybody. We want to have harmony in the group. We want to get along with people. And that's, you know, that's kind of you. And I can see that. I can see you chatting in between points as a kid. And, I, and but even I worrying about, <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to but you do. I mean, we, look, I'm wired like you too. And we worry about, what are people going to think? What are my friends going to say? What are my parents going to think mm -hmm. when my ranking goes up or when my ranking goes down, when I lose to this toad, even Joey beat this toad. How am I losing to this guy? And ouch, it can really go on and on. Right. So that takes us. Um, I, I, I love that we can uh, just talk about this and I love your new book and, and send the, the kind of the final part of the introduction, you say, uh, this book will teach parents how to educate their children to advocate for themselves, be assertive under pressure, make good decisions, and most importantly, apply gratitude along the journey. I mean, I feel like I need that on a sticky note on my mirror. Like, you know what I mean? Let's make t-shirts. <laughs> <Really? laughs> so, you know, advocating for themselves, you know, that's something that, um, again, going go back to my, my own experience, and I've seen it you know and, and players I've worked with as well but I didn't want to if I was if there were questionable calls let's just go with an easy one you know yeah and, you know you do the whole are you sure or you know, <laughs> that, yeah. that's, that's like ah. <laughs> um I mean and and I didn't want to I, I avoid confrontation usually, you know, and so it's like, I didn't want to confront her about maybe some bad calls and the idea of like leaving the court to go ask for a line judge, you know, I, th I think I remember the first time that I ever did do this and I was so scared with the line judge and I'm worried about the line person standing there on the court that I, that I couldn't play. It's like, you know, so advocating for themselves is, is huge. Like I said, that's just one, one example 
Um, and then you said be assertive under pressure. You know, I think about if players lose the score, you know, and you've seen this a million times and the parents might know the score and they're kind of like, Five, two, thirty, forty. You know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. But, but again, to be able to be assertive under pressure, and assertive is not a bad word. You know, it's going. No. Okay. It's assertive is not a bad word. And um, so you know, being assertive under pressure, and you're going, no, it's this and the tiebreaker, and they're going, no, it's not. And you, you know, counting back the points, and so now the parents are losing their minds. And, you know, the coaches over there going, oh, my gosh, how have you forgotten the score? Even though it's 100 degrees outside, and you've played this long <laughs> match, and you forget, you forget it. I mean, you lose the score. It happens. Um, yeah. So you have advocate for themselves, be assertive under pressure, make good decisions, and most importantly, apply gratitude along the journey. So so what are some other um, examples? Let's get into that advocate for themselves and being assertive under pressure and, you know, making the good decisions? <laughs> well, we have to, um, first thing we have to do is we have to allow our children to make decisions, right? We have to be more like That's huge. lifeguards, not helicopters. And, you know, we, we always hear helicopter parent, right? Uh, I think a big key is, um, Try to pay attention to the needs of your children. Do, do they need more avoidance or exposure with a certain topic? And if they need more exposure, um, you have to dig into it and let them let them work on that topic. If it's anything from like handling lines calls, we have to teach them the minuscule pathways to how to deal with that issue, how to handle gamesmanship, how to handle cheating. Um, advocate for yourselves is is based on that. But I think it even starts way before they ever get on a tennis court. Um, I'll give you an example that might be meaningful if the parents can have their, their children try this, but do the, what I would call the co-pilot game. Okay. It's all that means is if you're going to go to a, a trip to visit relatives or maybe even getting good enough to go to a different state to play a tennis tournament, the child has to navigate and find the airport. They have to tell you how to find parking. They have to find the American Airlines counter to check in. Now they have to find security. And when you get through security, they have to find the gate. Now we're gonna help them. We'll be there like a lifeguard, but we're not gonna do it for them. That's they have to find the plane. They gotta find the seat. Yep. When they get off the plane, they gotta find baggage claim. Maybe they have to find the rental car. That's a new one. I love that. Oh, come on. I'm a trained professional. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, no. you are. <laughs> but look, you can even do that going to the grocery store. And look, the more we have the kids be in charge, the more they're going to feel like they can do it. They can make decisions. Well, that's and like, that's how you like, say you take, you know, like I said, worked with high school teams or, or junior team, tennis teams, whatever, it doesn't matter. But um if you go out, uh, go go to dinner after the match, win or lose, whatever. You're on this trip. You're at the state championship, whatever. And so you got to eat dinner, you know. And so parents are probably all going to sit at a table, and then the kids are going to sit all at a table. And so it, it's always been interesting for me, and this is part of you know my restaurant world <laughs> thinking too. But it's like the kids that can look at the menu and go, okay, and know how to order, you know, just. Yeah. 
did want to put, you know, versus a parent ordering for the child, like, oh, beautiful example. This, yeah. This. You know, and, and I literally remember a girl um, who I adored. She was so sweet, um, still still plays some today. But I, I distinctly remember being being at, uh, I think we were in Little Rock or something and going, you know, and she had, it was the first time she had traveled that far away from home, um, Birmingham to Little Rock. And she was playing in the 12s at the time. And she she really, like, didn't know how to order like when the, when the server came to the table, she kind of just looked at me and I'm like, well, what do you, what do you want? Like, you know, like what, what looks good to you? Do you have questions? You know, and, and that assertive part comes back, say, if you have a kid with um, an allergy, a food allergy, you know, are they going to be able to say if mom and dad aren't there to yeah. a restaurant, oh, I'm allergic to peanut oil or, or whatever the case may be, you know? So, so just like you're saying, I love the airport analogy. I'm totally going to use that. <laughs> I always cite my sources. Don't worry. But, <laughs> but, you know, just, just like you said, and it goes into um, preparation, emotional yeah. preparation. How do you know how to order in a restaurant how do you know how to find you know there is like you said like a lifeguard there is some guidance but I love how you're saying you know you let them let them figure it out for themselves and then they're going to feel better about that they're going to feel good you know right. you know that's you right. feel accomplished um hmm. and and that's that's such a huge part of it um so, so I love that. I'm thinking of a phrase. Um, I can't remember who said it. I did not come up with this, but um, you, know, you, you don't prepare the way for your child. You prepare your child for the way. Yeah, exactly. That's There's going to be adversity. There's going to be like you were talking about if, if there's any sort of line call issues or, you know, gamesmanship or, anything you know because it is an open sport and so you don't know you might be on a rain delay what do you do during a rain delay you know I mean so these kids making these good decisions and and part of like you said um the character traits and life skills yes. so it's, it's such a good parallel um <laughs> you know, for kids feeling accomplished and say you're working on a pattern and and you say to that kid I just this match it might be a practice match who knows but you go I, I just want you to work on that pattern and I want you to stick with it I don't care if you're winning or losing I want you to work on this pattern and then they get it and then they're like oh and now you might have found a primary pattern but you you were the expert so so take it take us through kind of how how that evolves and develops yeah well I think that Developing a player means that we're developing inner belief and confidence. We're developing their confidence. We're helping them with, with that trait. And, and so, yeah, if, you're, if they're doing serve patterns, for example, here, here in Southern California, where I live, what we do, we're all, you know, we're hard courts here, basically. So we would take this, uh, you go to Walmart, you guys all have Walmart, get some two-inch duct tape, and you duct tape down the middle of the other service boxes on the other side and so they have to play the whole practice match serving only out wide mm -hmm. or maybe only serving down the tee and if both players have to do it so it's even you know equal stevens kind of thing but i think that's a big idea that if they can start to hit half a service box in practice matches like dress rehearsals 
that's the next step. So, you know, for us as coaches and parents need to know this too, there's a, there is a systematic approach. Really. We have to get them to first understand the play and pattern. Then we have to have them do it slowly with like feeding drills. Mm-hmm. That's phase two. Then we have to do dress rehearsals, which is phase three. And then they get to try it in the real match. And it's the same concept as a, here in LA, these Hollywood actors and actresses, they have to get the, get the script, do the line reading, you know, then they do dress rehearsals all week. Then they shoot the show on Friday. And there's a reason why they do that order. And But unfortunately, with a lot of tennis players, junior tennis players, they take a private lesson. They work a little bit on getting the mechanics down. But they don't do the pattern reps. And they don't do the dress rehearsals. And then they wonder why it doesn't work in a real tournament. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I like that, that you're talking about the, the pattern reps. And I think it's meaningful with parents if they want to get involved in building the character traits and uh, ask your and coaches can do this, too. But ask, don't tell. Don't tell them what to do. Ask them what to do. Right. Right. And, you know, you've heard that a million times and you probably already do it all the time. But yeah, just just the way of asking questions you know say if i have a player and this could be an adult i'm working with too this could be anybody you know and i go okay um what's your favorite serve and they're like i don't know I'm like what do you mean you <laughs> what's your favorite serve yeah <laughs> or you know if yeah. you're so it's, it's it's 15 40 and it's match point and you're hitting a second serve what what does that look like? What 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 are you, what serve are you gonna hit? <laughs> Second serve at match point, you know. And they're like, I don't know. I'm just gonna try to get it in, or hope not to miss. There's what you know. Well, I don't want to. Yeah, hope not to miss. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I had a lady the other day just say, "I'm just trying to get a tan." <laughs> that was her. That's great. She didn't care about where it went. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my goodness. Well, um, this has been so much fun. The last thing I want to touch on um, is uh, the the last part of, of the introduction there where you say apply gratitude along the journey. Mm. Um, and this is huge. I mean, it's, it can be, you can go, oh, that's a nice thing to say. Yes, we should all be grateful. But really, you know, when you have, um, and you, you, like, if you ever listen to the speeches at the end of a match at, at some major, you know, and you kind of, they're on the spot, they're probably speaking in a possibly another language that they're, and that they're, you know, so there's a whole lot going on right, right in that minute. And they go, you know, they always, you know, you thank your, your coaches and your people your entourage or, you know, and, uh, your parents, do you, you know, do, do you thank your coach? Do you thank your parents? You know, the officials at the tournament, do you go thank the tournament director? Um, you, you know, I think all of those things, you know, we hear it at the U S open or whatever, but really even, even wherever you're playing, you know, if you thank your parents say, Hey, you know, you're driving all over the place. Mom spends more time in the the SUV than she does at the house. <laughs> Carton people are, you know, you know when when was the last time you thanked your mom for driving all over creation and getting yeah, a warm up? You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, mom, thank you for getting up and getting me to my six o'clock warm up and 
you know, when was the last time, you know, I'll, I'll just occasionally, you know, when was the last time you thanked your mom for, you know, that's great. You know, I mean, I think that's something every coach should be reminding their athletes to write a little thank you note to the parents, because it is a pretty thankless job. If you, if you think about the job description of a tennis parent, it's hard. It's insanely hard. And then hard. Like, if you were like going on Google looking for a job post, it says you're going to work 168 hours a week. You're going to work every weekend and most holidays. And you're, like you said, you're going to get up at five in the morning. And at the very bottom of the job post, it would say, and there is no pay and all your expenses will not be reimbursed. Right. <laughs> oh my God. This is a hard job. But uh, yeah. That's so funny. Jeez, I, you know, I, I think that, well, obviously, I because, you know, it's in this psychology of tennis parenting book, but it's also really all through the pages of the earlier tennis parent Bible. But if you can train your your juniors, if you're a coach, if you're a parent, if you can help your children to appreciate and, and be grateful and express it, and maybe even if they're not wired that way to have them wake up and do a gratitude journal which is something we can talk about later, but it's it's meaningful that kids wake up and they start to think about all the opportunities they have and and, and all the possessions they have. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, especially here in Southern California. I mean, there, there's kids that drive. You should see the cars. These like 16 year old, they just get their license. You know, and they have this the brand new BMWs and Mercedes and. And they're not really appreciative. They don't have gratitude. They're just always looking at the problem. Like the problem is, the problem is. And it's like, yeah, but what about what, what about your solutions? And what about everything you have? And I think I have to give that speech maybe once a week here in Southern California that, look, some of these kids were born like, like they won the lottery. Right. But they don't get it. Yeah. So maybe that's, we have to teach that a little bit more maybe. Yeah. Well, you know, and it goes right to, to, you know, this whole introduction with, with your book that, you know, there's just a lot to it and there's good in each piece for the coaches, for the players, for the parents, especially because it's, everybody has a hard job, you know, it's yeah. stuff. And I think part of gratitude is realizing, you know, yeah, mom's getting up early and driving me somewhere and who really wants to go to, I'm not going to say a city specifically, but, you know, who wants to go spend the weekend and such and such. Yeah. You know, you know, I mean, so there's, there's kind of expectations. Does the kid just expect mom or dad or whoever it is to be doing all these things? Maybe they don't even think about it. If it's, all, if everything's yeah. done for them, they don't even think about it. You know, I mean, I will, I remember, and this is my last personal story I'll tell. I just, I get, I get together. <laughs> <laughs> I, you get all jazzed up. I do. I do. Um, we're having so much fun. Or, <laughs> Yeah, but I, I'll never forget, this was um, just a few years ago. So this one's a more recent story. I was coaching um, a, a kid, great kid, great family. Um, and uh, we were we were in Rome, Georgia. Yeah, we were. And um, she's playing this long match. She's doing, she's so coachable. I mean, like, like I said, this family's such an ideal family. And, um, you know, I get to coach, you know, before they go into the third set match tie break, mm -hmm. you know, and we talk and, you know, I'm watching and sitting with her parents. And uh, at the end of the match, she comes up to me and, you know, 
she she goes thanks for watching and thanks for talking to me before the tiebreaker and i mean it's like jaw drop like huh wow you know, yeah yeah oh. <laughs> you know and so so it, it just that just blew me away i think i'll always remember it's like oh wow yeah you know? it's so, probably great parenting huh yeah 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 so that the, the system works <laughs> yeah right on well frank thank you so much um this has been so much fun, and I'm so looking forward to, uh, we're going to continue um, these chats as we go through um, Frank's, the psychology of, of tennis parenting. Um, I can put a link uh, down below if anybody needs to click that link and uh, check out Frank's new book. It's awesome. Well, thanks so much. All right, I'm looking forward to it. We'll dive into chapter one and uh, see what we can uncover. All right. Well, thank you. Your evening. Thank you, Frank. All right. <laughs> Bye, everybody.